0: how to build it, how to invest in it, how to finance it, and, and really how to sell it, you know the whole gamut, and, and being able to speak to investors about um, the benefits of long-term cash flow with appreciation, depreciation, tax incentives. Stock investing generally doesn't give you any of that.
1: What's going on, everyone? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Long time listeners of this show know I am a multifamily real estate investor. I syndicate real estate. I invest in real estate syndications. And I'm here to talk about building long term wealth as passively as possible, primarily through real estate. Today, our guest is Andrew Shenna, who's going to talk exactly about that. Andrew is a real estate investor, a long time real estate investor based in Boston. And he's going to teach us about his experience moving from real estate development into investing in cash flowing assets and why cash flowing assets are much better for long-term wealth creation than development. He's got an inside scoop on that. And we're going to get that today. This is a fun interview. Andrew's a fun guy to talk to. And without further ado, here we go with Andrew Shenna from Capital Equity Partners. Andrew, thank you for joining us today.
0: Absolutely, I appreciate you having me on.
1: Happy to talk with you. Can you walk us through your background and how you got into multifamily syndication?
0: Absolutely. So, uh, Capital Equity Partners. We started out in uh, 2011, and you know, as syndicators, we started out really syndicating uh, development, residential multifamily development here in Boston, uh, South Boston specifically, is where we is really our market. And uh, we started really syndicating before we even knew it was even syndicating. We were, you know, raising money from friends and family and kind of putting it together in an operating agreement. Um, And as that process continued, we just began to learn more and fine tune um, our operating agreements and really understanding the syndication world and bringing in uh, more professional legal advice and and things like that. So we'd been technically... uh, Developing in in syndicating and developing in in Boston here since '11, so about uh, today eight years. We pivoted a little bit into multifamily because probably about three years ago I started looking at you know really what was kind of the horizon, a five year timeline horizon. And development's great. Don't get me wrong. If you've got the itch, scratch it. It's it can be awesome. It can be brutal. Uh, but it's it's part of it's in my blood. Uh, growing up, kind of around trades and things like that, but um, sooner or later, development's great until it's not great. And and when the music stops uh, on the development train, or, or when the real estate market really cools and buyers pull back out of the market, um, you don't want to be you don't want you don't want to be left without a chair when the music stops. So, I decided to really start learning more about multifamily, and and it's a little bit of a different underwrite. So it took us. A little bit of time to educate ourselves and and really understanding markets and understanding where we should be for on a macro level, watching population trends and job market growth and um, you know the the key factors as an operator wants to see, but also what your investors really want to see in in a market that they may not be familiar with uh, to be able to ensure them this is a, a path of progress, this is a growth type of market, and um, you know to be able to cater to to their investment needs and. To find yield. Because um, at the end of the day, the yield that multifamily gives off here in Boston isn't the same type of yield that is going to be given off in, let's say, the Midwest or the Southeast, uh, the market dependent, of course, now. Uh, so a few years back, we started that process and uh, educated ourselves and uh, kind of went through the ringer and we bought uh, our first deal out in the uh, Louisville, Kentucky MSA. Uh, that's just about 11 months, um, 11 or 12, uh, it's 11 months as of today of this recording. But um, but yeah, so we've, we've been in it just about a year and it's um, uh, it's been going great. So we've started to really sc- dig down into that marketplace and, and start to really look at others. Um, however, we haven't taken a ton of action in the past uh, about six months, six to nine months after we closed on that due to the fact of really you know, getting familiar with managing a manager and managing the the process of uh increasing rents and stabilizing a property and, and really getting it to perform the way we needed it to. So before we went out and started jumping into a, a whole nother asset in either the same market or a different market, we wanted to to prove to um, our existing investor base as well as future uh investors that you know we've got a track record and this is this is what we've executed. We're not just jumping into something uh that you know, we're not entirely familiar with. So that was important to us. So we're kind of taking that slow and steady approach to to really expanding in the multifamily side.
1: Okay. So you, you're you making the shift from developing to acquiring yeah. Yeah. existing cash flowing assets uh, and, and you're in Boston. So which is one of the most expensive real estate markets in the entire world, Absolutely. honestly. Can we talk about some of your experiences as a developer in Boston and maybe some of those things that started to show you the light of the weaknesses in development as it relates to that five-year plan.
0: Yeah. So I would say the, you know, our experiences in development, uh, in the city of Boston have been, you know, good and bad. Um, you really, uh, there is a lot of stress, uh, and a lot of things that are out of your control when it comes to developing in the city of Boston. And Excuse me. That I think that is probably one of the largest challenges. Um, Outside of that, when you talk market stability um, and and the the economy, uh, population, uh, it's it's excellent. Like there's there's so many things. Like you alluded to, Boston is one of the you know top ten markets in the country. Um, The difficulty with trying to look at Multifamily in Boston for us now. Uh, from from and everybody's got a different position as an operator, and, and every syndicator's got a different investor base. Uh, so I can speak specifically more to our position, which might be completely different than somebody else's. Mm-hmm. So um, where we've been developing it in, in in South Boston, I mean, we may deal with um, you know our our, our average capital raise is probably, you know, six hundred and fifty eight hundred thousand dollars 800000 Um, and that's generally just to buy a, a three, anything from a two to four unit residential multifamily. Um, you know, because we're, we're buying these properties anywhere from, uh, let's say a, today probably about a million and a half to 1.8 and putting in anywhere from 1.2 to 1.5 and exiting anywhere from let's say three to $4 million. So, um, the numbers are, are are at a much different scale here in Boston compared to maybe what you might find out. You know what I'm familiar with, which is uh, the Louisville, Kentucky market. You know, I'm buying three families almost for the same amount of money I can buy 28 units for in in the Louisville market. So um, the difficulty between development in Boston and cash flow in Boston is the yield uh, that you can get. And one of the, and I'll speak individually to, to our, our investor, uh, base was that, you know, we were providing, you know, we've sold roughly around $30 million worth of real estate here in the past eight years, um, developed and sold. And, you know, we've been able to achieve a, you know, let's say a 30% annualized return on average across the last eight years. Well, when we pivoted to get into multifamily, let's say in a, in a different market and more of an emerging market, The returns can be excellent over a five-year time horizon where, you know, your investor capital is tied up for a longer period of time, let's say five years versus a development, which may be, you know, 24 to 36 months. Um, And you can provide a 30% annualized return over that time instead of a, um, let's say, you know, an average 20% uh, annualized return over on a, you know, any high teens to 20% is really what we're trying to find. So, on a multifamily basis, you have your investor capital tied up for much longer uh, rather than the an average 24 month project. Then the returns, you know, a year over year on an annualized basis aren't as great. So, what we had a difficulty doing was on our first purchase, it was a, a 28 unit deal and it, you know, it was roughly around the same type of capital raise. But we found that our investor base was a little bit, it was just different. They weren't necessarily tuned into that. They wanted us to stay in the Boston market. So, um, cash flow in Boston is like, and that's why we went to Louisville, the Louisville market, or to a more of an emerging market, uh, is because the cash flow in Boston is is less than that. It's more appreciation market. So our investor base didn't want to be tied up in a in a property for five to ten years in Boston to make, let's say, a five to six percent even leveraged return, um, and and ride out the next five to ten years. They wanted to turn their capital over faster. Um, so and that's why the 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 capital raising for development was just so much different than the capital raising for uh, a multifamily cash flow. So one of the things that we've had to do over the last year is really just. Diversify our investor base and to raise more capital for different types of projects, for what we do locally, and for uh, cash flow projects that we uh, look for in emerging markets. So those are the kind of differences that you know you see really as an operator. And I love, like I said, I love development, but I also love the cash flow, Uh, and it's just really focusing in on on your investor and what they're looking for, Uh, and and to grow really you know, different bases of, of capital. And that's, it's really necessary depending on the markets that you're in.
1: Nice. So I think as a developer, you have a lot of advantages that many other multifamily syndicators don't have in that you probably have a better understanding of the costs of doing certain things, even though you're coming from a, a Boston area, you know, mm-hmm. price level compared to Louisville or something like that, but yep. you'll have an idea for a rough idea of so some, What's going to cost more than other things and the whole process, project management around that. So that's great.
0: For sure. And and that is kind of one of our strengths, like why we look for value-add deals. Um, we know on an operational basis, from a construction basis, the order that things need to happen. And for the most part, you know, material costs are relatively similar across the board, depending on obviously materials and the style or or, uh, the class of finish that you're, that you're doing. Um, It's, it's the labor cost that that takes a little getting used to. Um, So, but you know, you can also, you know, understanding um, average market salaries, um, depending on the markets that you're in uh, for for construction workers and uh, that are quality uh, in different markets. Once you get your head around that, you should be able to really tie in, um, what a cost and what you can achieve on a per door basis when you are doing a, a, you know, a a reposition of, you know, let's say an asset you just interiors or exterior work or things like that. And obviously relying heavily on local property management is, is also very key in that as well. Um, but it's all about developing relationships, developing a team that you trust and, but from the development perspective, you know, for sure, you know, taking a building from, the ground up um, and, you know, dealing with what's, you know, you can't see under the ground um, to just doing full gut renovation rehabs and taking a structure to its core and uh rebuilding luxury condos from there. So yeah, we've, we've seen the gamut and we do believe that does give us a little bit of uh gives us a little bit of, I guess, an advantage. Sometimes you look at something like, oh yeah, we could do that. And other times you're like, yeah, we've tried that. Don't do that.
1: Here. I think it's a, I think. As um, as prudent investors, I think, tend to underestimate the value of their own experience and skills, especially experienced investors kind of tend to maybe make an assumption in their head that, oh, everybody knows that thing, whatever it might be, you know, this certain kind of period, all right, they were doing aluminum wiring, so we're going to need to make these changes in the wire, all those kinds of things. You might take it for granted. Oh, everybody knows that. Not everybody knows that.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that's, and I think. I think for me specifically, I mean, when you, when you look back to where we started, you know, when we started first doing syndications, you know, it was, I struggled. I mean, this is down back in 2011. There was nothing out there really. I mean, that was really, uh, you know, out there to, to talk about syndication, to talk about, um, how to model, how to raise money. There was very little, I wouldn't say, I won't say there's nothing, but there was very little. Um, and over the past eight years, I and mean, I've gone to countless different conferences and events and, Uh, And that's just, and obviously doing podcasts like yours, I mean, they're out there for everybody to learn. So it is, I find it, um, it's difficult and hopefully I'm not the only one to be able to turn around and look at where I was eight years ago and be like, you know what, I should talk a little more about that. Or I should, uh, you know, because it's something I already know and I've put in the database, be like, oh yeah, I know that. So, you know, who else doesn't know that? And it's tough to sometimes reflect back and be like, yes, there are a ton of people who may not know or understand, and they're just getting in. And, and to be able to put that knowledge out there and, and to share, I mean, that's, you know, that's part of one of the things that I love doing is just being able to share uh, what I do know. But it, it takes certain things to trigger to be able to help share that, which is why, you know, I love, you know, speaking to you is is just being able to kind of mind dump sometimes. So sometimes it'll be tough to just to shut me up.
1: You've been in real estate for uh, the number I have is 18 years. Is that up to date.
0: Yeah, that is, that is. Well, let's see. Yeah. Uh, 18 years. That's correct. We're approaching 19 very soon. That's
1: pretty cool. So you've, you, yeah. you saw the wave. Can you tell us about your involvement before 2011, uh, before you, it's before you got into development? I mean, it sounds like it yeah. was your career before you became a, a an investor yourself. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So I got in when I was uh, 22. Uh, 20, excuse me, 23, I believe I, I got my first job in, in the mortgage business and residential mortgage origination, uh, fell into it. And, and back then was the wild West, uh, you know, as far as, uh, what it is today. I mean, it's heavily regulated today. I mean, there were, uh, it was amazing once, once I really became educated about it, um, you know, it took about six months to a year to really kind of process and understand it. It, it was just a sales job mm-hmm. in the beginning. But it, it really became more than that. When you're legitimately sitting across the table from you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith and talking about refinancing or trying to purchase and, and take on the largest debt that they're most likely gonna have in their life, um, it, it morphed from working with those types of homeowners to working with people trying to buy investment properties um, and really starting to understand a cash flow model or um, you know, so in combining, and this is all residential, really wasn't commercial, but it was all residential origination from owner-occupied, you know, two to four units to investment three families and just the single family acquisitions. Uh, and and I did that. I originated for a solid 10 years. And I ended up, you know, once uh, legislation passed and and the Dodd-Frank Act passed and, and that ended up, I got licensed uh, and I ended up giving up my license back in, I believe, 2012 or 13 to focus more on the syndication business. Uh, but all of it helped. You know, as we were getting our businesses off the ground, so that's really where I got um, the the financial education part of it down, and that's really what drove me to understand cash flow and and um, really understood uh, how the financing p- part works and leverage and and just property. And then I got my sales like my salesperson's license just to be in real estate and how to buy and sell real estate in two thousand and eight. Uh, I was thirty one at the time, and um and then by 2000, I was starting to scratch the surface on development and things like that and then the economy kind of crashed and things were really slow and I didn't have an investor base behind me and nobody wanted to touch real estate at that point. so I kind of put it a little bit on the back burner and just tried to you know focus as much as I could on on uh, mortgages and and trying to write whatever I could and uh, and then by 2010, the market started kind of creeping back, and we just started really scratching that surface again, and, and started the development companies. And by 2011, we're that's off great. So
1: by my math, yeah. you started in the mortgage industry in 2011, or just, sorry, 2001. Sorry,
0: no. I'm that up. 2001. It, uh, yeah, 2001.
1: 2001 was was that uh, pre 9/11 or post?
0: It was post. post, it was post nine 11 by about okay. two months. So I started November of 2001 was my first. Okay. So
1: kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm driving yeah. at with that point, And I think it's might still be valid Is you've experienced a few shocks in the market in your time. Oh yeah. Nine sure. 11 impacted things For and then sure. obviously the great recession impacted things. So how,
0: yeah. and, and, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was, um, kind of similar to today. You know, we can always you can honestly say, I mean, some of the, some of the loans that were being written back in 2007, 2006, that impacted and were a big downfall of the financial crisis. Um, you know, I remember sitting with colleagues being like, how are these people getting loans? Like, this is, this is just ridiculous. Like it's like, something's got to give." And, and, you know, we're at the point in the cycle now where people are like, how can people continue to afford Mm. these things? Something's got to give. So it's, it's a very similar sentiment. And, you know, even though fundamentals, you know, let's talk macro, a lot of the fundamentals are, are very strong, you know, wages, you're seeing wages slightly increase in some markets. And, um, you know, when you look at, you know, Fannie Mae's just, you know, I take it back to what my core education was back in the early two thousands, which was, you know, you're looking at debt to income ratio and Fannie Mae wants the front end ratio to be at 32%. And for people who don't know your front end ratio is your, um, your, your housing payment, you know, for a homeowner, it's principal interest taxes and insurance relative to what your monthly income is. Um, and what you're seeing now, and I think what's really caught on with a lot of landlords is that they're doing the same thing, but they're making the rental prices at what the, the, that front end debt to income ratio is so. For what, what, what you know, what I've seen in a lot of markets, even Boston, it's like you know a, a two bedroom in South Boston rents for like thirty five hundred dollars. I mean, it's wow. it's it's banana land. But but when you look at it, if you have two young professionals who come in that are making let's say eighty thousand dollars a year each, um, you know, right out of college, a couple of years out of college, um, and you know that's Boston. It's it's a great job market you know, spending 15 to $1,700 a month, you know, which would probably include parking too. They're okay with that. Or if it's a, if it's a couple that is um, let's say that they're, you know, they're, they're together or they're getting engaged or they're, they're starting a family. They, they have no problem spending that because it's their lifestyle. It's what they want. It's where they want to be. They work a mile from the house. They're in downtown Boston. They're in the seaport. Um, that's what's driving that. And, you know, as long as you see that median income uh, in in the neighborhoods in which you're in continue to elevate, you'll continue to see rental demand or rental prices increase. And until people start pulling back on that, you know, that's you know, as as rental prices go, that's how the cash flow market goes. And it's sooner or later, um, you know, will people get burned? Yeah, I'm sure some people will feel some pain, but that's every market and that's every cycle. So um, you just we try to look at properties that make sense, and we try to buy on existing cash flows and and how a building performs. You know, we're way out of the ballpark on some when we look at our properties, but hey, that's okay. You know, we're we'll, we're gonna make big misses, but you know, when that music does stop, especially on the cash flow side, and and things soften a little bit, we'll be in a good position where other people's might be over
1: Absolutely, I think that's a great way to go. I mean, we had, uh, Jake and Gino on the show recently. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, Gino said on that show is no deal is better than a bad deal. Meaning to not do a deal is much better than to do a bad deal. And as you're alluding to, there are people out there doing bad deals right now, maybe just to, to do deals and, uh, yeah, it's better yeah. to not do one.
0: Yeah. And I do think there there's probably, there has to be uh... I don't want to say with conviction that I know for sure, um, but I, I'm sure there uh, is a certain faction of syndicators that are out there and, you know, if they're jumping into big properties. It's big fees because at the end of the day, when you start getting big and you've got huge dollars behind you, you know, it can get to the point where it's it's a fee-based model um, where you might be giving away a large portion of the, the deal just to continue to get deals done, you know. Can you hit the numbers as an operator? Can you hit those numbers um, that, that you're projecting? You know, I just looked at a deal, um, God, it was uh, last week or a week, a week before last. It was down in the triangle hmm. down in Durham. And I just, you know, I looked at an excellent market. Probably one of the top two to three Fantastic. markets in the country for multifamily right now. Unbelievable. But I looked at the numbers and I'm like, I, I don't, you know, there were red flags that were popping up to me in, in the numbers. And I'm like- I just don't see how this operator is going to be able to achieve that. So, you know, and this was a, a deal that we were looking to passively invest in. Um, so I was like, I just, I don't like it too many red flags. So we passed on it, but you know what? They're, I'm sure they'll get the full subscription um, and, and execute the deal. And hopefully I'll be there if the deal decides to implode in a few years and, uh, and we'll take it from the bank, but that's fine. You know, that, that's, that's a model. Um so, but like you said, I mean, there are, um, there are certainly things that, you know, you always want to be cautious of and, and, you know, we always would rather do, we'd rather miss by a mile on a deal than, than just to get into something to make fees and push forward and go.
1: Yeah, rest. yeah, absolutely. I think what, um, what I was leading to, you know, asking about when you, the year you had started, um, and started in the real estate industry in general, just as a job, as you said, as a sales yep. job, you know, you've, right. you've watched right. over time a couple of cycles and you've watched people have problems and you've learned from that experience by watching. And I think we, you know, I and the listeners out there can learn from your learning your education uh, by experience and, and read into that and understand, you know, where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, you know, and the thing is in the last cycle, I mean, the things that triggered it all was, Realistically, it was, it was people taking on too much debt. Um, and, you know, everyone can talk, you know, if you've watched, you know, the big short or any of those movies which oh, yeah. were excellent. I mean, what a de- what a depiction of, of that industry <laughs> back in the day. I mean, nailed it. Um, but, you know, understanding, you know, people being over leveraged and, and over credit, people just pulling out money, you know, uh, just to pay off consumer debt. Um, I actually personally had moved, I moved out to Arizona for- uh, a short period of time, Arizona and in Las Vegas, um, writing mortgages more from, from a brokerage. I went to a a retail bank and, um, was working out there and, uh, and still in my twenties and, and to see double digit growth and talking to the people, um, who may have bought this brand new house two years ago and then pull $150,000 out of it because of the double digit growth that that was, that people were experiencing out of there. I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. Like, I I can't see how this is gonna hold, and and eventually it didn't. Um, and I came back to Massachusetts before it all toppled. But um, you know, I kind of I saw a little bit of the writing on the wall when I was there, and and um, it's you know I don't. It's tough to it's tough to pinpoint in this marketplace where the downfall will come. I mean, affordability is an issue, but it's not just an issue. I mean, it's an issue everywhere. Um, but you know job market fundamentals are super strong and that's what the economy likes to see but you know I just don't know how strong it really is and you know i'm not I'm not really one to pontificate you know markets uh, I'm, I'm certainly not an economist by trade and I just try to do what's right by my investors and and ourselves and if I think it's time to play conservative, I'll play conservative and and I'd much rather be two years too early than two months too late so that's kind of I like
1: helpful. that I yeah. like that mentality um, a lot and I, I think there's a lot that we can we can learn by you know listening to what you had to say I mean if you asked say Peter Schiff for example about where's the weakness or where, mm-hmm. what's the next thing that's going to happen he would tell you the dollar is headed down you know chicken little oh, on the dollar yes. so
0: exactly and you know I've you know I've, I'm a mm-hmm. big Kiyosaki guy I love listening to to um all of his stuff and Um, I actually just looked for, uh, uh, I'm going to forget the title of the book. The monster Um, from
1: Jekyll Island or something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Jekyll Island. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, I certainly, I mean, I, 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 I take a lot of information from that and I'll make my own decisions on that. I'm not like, I'm not certainly a disciple of, of anybody. I just gather as much information as I can to make intelligent decisions. Um, but Certainly a gentleman like Peter Schiff is, is a million times smarter than I am when it comes to a, the, the economy, and it's not something I've studied. Um, it's not something I'm necessarily a, a master in, which he is. So, um, But understanding what somebody else's viewpoint is and to to not look at what maybe a rosy picture some people may paint, like let me see the underside. Let me see the underbelly. What what don't I know, and, and do I agree with those things? Um, and I certainly think that there is a lot of valid points to – um to what he says and and it you know but it makes you pay attention to a lot of different things and I think by doing that you understand uh from an investment perspective where to place your capital where should it be um you know thinking just cash flow from an investor standpoint um you know obviously I I think real estate is is to me is is mm-hmm. I think it's the ultimate. I love real estate. Uh it's secured, it's insured and it's not going anywhere. It's not a paper asset. It's um, it you know, it's not as volatile as the stock market. Now, yes, you can make booms and busts in the in the stock market. You know, and some of the statistics that um, that have, I've read recently in the stock market were along the lines of like if you missed two of the top trading days in the past decade you have you know your your portfolio had missed like a 30% gain or something crazy like that and it's like you got to be in for the long haul with that and i get that um but to me it's 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 about real estate because real estate is a long term play and people always need it's a, it's it's a basic it's a fundamental element of having a roof over your head um so to me, and and you know, being uh, I like to consider myself a, a a student of real estate from, you know, how to build it, how to invest in it, how to finance it, and and really how to sell it, you know, the whole gamut, and and being able to speak to investors about um, the benefits of long term cash flow with appreciation, depreciation, tax incentives. Um, stock investing generally doesn't give you any of that. Um, which is why I love I love real estate and why I advise anybody who is consider, considering investing, continuing to invest, even they're just IRAs or 401ks that they may have rolled over. Like do yourself a favor. Peel off 50k if you have it and, and self-direct it. put it into a piece of real estate um, rather than leaving it certainly in. the market. I
1: like that mentality a lot. And for anybody that didn't get catch the, the book reference, it was the creature from Jekyll Island. Thank book you. about the Federal Reserve, <laughs> which was essentially more or less founded in a, on a private meeting with six bankers, literally on a place called right. Jekyll Island. It sounds made up. It's not made up. I, I haven't read no. the book. I'm aware of it. I have not read it. It's on my list, I, though.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. I, you know, I drive a ton for work. So I tried to download it in audible. Mm-hmm. So that's why I listen to a ton of podcasts. <laughs> um, I tried to download it in audible and I couldn't, so I'm like, I'm- you're just
1: going to have to read it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot in there. And I mean, I had a, a call with, uh, my CPA today and he pointed out some more, you know, tax advantages that I can get that I, I haven't been taking advantage of in the past. And it just gave me, you know, it relit that, that fire of like, all right, I got to keep up with this and I mean, I think getting started, absolutely like you're saying, peel off 50k if you can and just get started investing in real estate is, is a great advice. Find a tax professional that's educated in real estate, a CPA oh my God. that can point you in Please. the right direction, 100%. And
0: and I got to tell you, I mean, I, you know, a lot of people a lot of people don't want to pay attention to their taxes because it's mm-hmm. confusing. The IRS is after you know nobody right. wants the IRS in their back. Nobody, um, and and when you hire a, a CPA professional to do your taxes, you think that they are, you know, oh they're a CPA, they're doing everything. They just know. They <laughs> don't, know. you know. So look, somebody, some somebody has to finish last yeah, in their class, yeah. okay, always from from attorneys to CPAs. Um, we had a CPA that um, you know didn't give us. We, what we thought, we, we we felt they should have given us better advice. They didn't give us the advice that we felt like we should have had. And, you know, we, you know, three of us in, in a partnership all lost $40,000 wow. to taxes because of that in one year. So, you know, needless to say, I've changed my CPA since then. And um, I you know, pay attention to your taxes and pay attention to those things because as dreary and boring and excruciating that I'd say I find it and it is, it's tough. It's sh- it's interesting um, because taxes are the most expensive thing or the, the the largest expense that you will have every single year. So you got to pay attention to it. You got to learn. It. And if you're going to be in the real estate game, you got to understand it um, because it's, it's vital to Really growing your profits, and and there are so many avenues to to growing profits using um, programs, tax deferred programs, things like that that um, can help you compound wealth. Um, that it's it's something you just need to absolutely, be
1: absolutely, absolutely. And as a as busy professionals out there, especially those learning earning W two income, that's going to be probably the highest taxed income that you're going to earn till you you know. Yet in a real estate, yep. it's going to be lower tax bracket, so you really need to up your taxation game and getting a CPA can help you do that. Yeah.
0: No, for sure. And, you know, reading, you know, reading books. Um, oh, I read, uh, you know, obviously again, uh, back to Kiyosaki, he had a, a mm-hmm. Tom Wheelwright uh, was the author of a book um, on, on tax strategies and and just tax basics. And, you know, that was one of the books that I began to read when I was like, you know what, I really need to become more familiar with this. Um, you know, look, as we all, as we all age, you know, nobody's, nobody's a professional in absolutely everything. Um, so you just have to learn enough to, to know, I need to surround myself with the type of people that understand this and, and understanding that, you know, people's knowledge base on real estate, um, operations alone, even as a, as a syndicator, um, having a a regular CPA that doesn't, maybe doesn't specialize in, in real estate. It's probably a mistake. Because uh, a tax professional that or a a CPA that focuses mainly on real estate investors and in the real estate business, they're going to know much more than the traditional CPA, especially more than the (laughs) professional that's probably sitting at H&R Block. Um, So that's you know, and and they're going to cost you more money, but in the long run, they save you more money. So that's um, that that would be another kind of. uh, tip is to uh yeah just just educate yourself and surround yourself with the with a a great team
1: absolutely absolutely so we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor all right andrew i got three questions i ask every guest on the show are you ready i'm ready all right number one what is the best investment that you've ever made
0: (sighs) best investment i ever made um in my education um you know I know a lot of people will say, look, you know, I don't like going to gurus. Um, I don't like, uh, you know, I don't want to pay a ridiculous amount of money for a program. Well, we did so um, back in 2010. Um, You know, we had really, my business partner and I, when we started, we had a real estate kind of finance background. Um, And it wasn't something we necessarily went to school for. Uh, It was just a job that we'd done for a decade. And, you know, I came from a background where my father was in the trades as an electrician. So I grew up around construction and I knew I wanted to get into that. So we jumped into a program, um, and we spent $25,000 at the time on it. And we looked at each other saying, I can't believe we're about to do this. Like this is absurd, (laughs) but, but you know what, like we had, you know, we learned a lot and we took action and we did it and, and we made, you know, we made that back in our first deal. And if we never did that, I don't know where we would be today. And it wasn't so much about the real estate part of it. It was more along the lines of the business systems part of it um, and and how to actually operate that business. And funny thing is, as a syndicator, that really wasn't a strength of that core program. The business systems were, and they were excellent. We still use them to this day and, and they've helped us grow. Uh, but the syndication part never really was. So we had to go out and continually invest in our education on the syndication side. So best investment is my, is my education.
1: What about the worst investment that you ever made?
0: Um, the worst investment I ever made was uh, it was a, uh, it was certainly a uh, I mean, it was, probably, it was a real estate deal um, and we overpaid for the property uh, and, you know, obviously in hindsight, um, we overpaid for the property because we didn't think it needed as much work as it needed. Uh, and once we started getting into it uh, and got some walls open, you know, we had to bring everything up to code, and we almost doubled our construction <laughs> budget. And you know, our investor gave us a a sizable check. Uh, we had one investor in that deal. I believe she gave us three hundred seventy thousand dollars. And you know, thank God. I mean, we didn't lose anybody's money. But the project was a, it was DOA, you know, so it went flat and uh, we were able to return the, return the money with, with no profit on it. And I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed to admit that because if you meet a developer or a syndicator or a multifamily person who says they haven't lost money, then they haven't been in the business long enough. (laughs) Um, And, and it's, it's not if it's when and how transparent are you? You know, how forthcoming are you with your investors? How communicative are you with your investors? Um, And, you know, I'm proud to say that that investor, you know, has since then reinvested a couple hundred thousand dollars more with us because, uh, you know, we've done excellent by her on all the other deals that she's got into. And so she knows we've got a great track record. Um, And I'm not ashamed to, to say that we've, you know, we've struck out on one. It is what it is. Wow. That's business, you know. That's life, and you know what? You learn a lot more from your failures than you do your mistake, uh, than than your successes at times. So, you know, we'll take that one and we'll keep we'll keep moving on, and we're not afraid to show our scars.
1: Nice, nice. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show, is the last one. What is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing?
0: I, I you know, I, I I'm going to take this from from a syndicator's perspective. Sure. Um, is to always, you know, to to your business is your investor right the most important lesson i've always gone is that your investors are the lifeblood of your business and if you're not treating them right if you're not looking if you're looking for deals for yourself and what you can make out of them then you know you're really you you're not you're not serving others right you're not serving your investors um, if it's not for your investors you've got no business so you know my most important lesson that I've learned from is is to always make sure your investors come first and make sure that the the deals and what you're getting into are beneficial to them, that you're mitigating as many risks as possible for their capital. Because since we've done well by our investors, I've now had the ability to be on the investor side and be a passive investor. So understanding, and especially as a syndicator and a passive investor myself, um, you know, the team that that's behind it and making sure that they're trustworthy and that they know what they're looking at and they know what they're doing, that they're putting the investors first. That's, uh, that's the most important valuable lesson that I've learned. Nice.
1: Nice. I like that. Well, Andrew, thank you for all the lessons today and, and sharing your almost two decades of real estate experience with us. If people want to learn more yeah, about sure. what you're doing, where can they get in touch?
0: Absolutely. Uh, greatest place to grab us is at our, our website, it's uh, cap c a p is in Peter Equity Partners and our phone number's on there. There's uh, 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 an investor prospectus you can download on there. And honestly, you ever have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out. Just email us, call me, and I'm always happy to talk real estate. It's a passion, so it's a little, it's a sickness, it's a passion. Either way, I, I love talking investing growing capital, um, the real estate. That's
1: great. I always, you know, I, I might break the fourth wall on this podcast a little bit too much, but it is almost 8 PM on a Tuesday. You know that Andrew loves this stuff. If he's on the line with me doing this interview, uh, at this late an hour when he's, you know, clearly got a family (laughs) to be (laughs) other priorities. So, yeah.
0: No, absolutely, and, you know, and actually, if if you know the people didn't see, you know, one of my daughters bust into the room just to say hi uh, before. Uh, while we're recording. Oh, it was sweet. It, it so, was sweet. Yes, yeah, it may may not be. Yeah, it was. It was. She's yeah,
1: adorable. No. That's so. that's all good. That's all good. We like those things.
0: Absolutely, but thank you very much. And and honestly, um, you know, Taylor, keep doing what you're doing, and you know, keep spreading the message. That, you know, I think uh, what you're doing is an invaluable service for. Well, I,
1: I certainly appreciate that. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Although, you know, as I said, breaking the fourth wall, it's you know, it, it takes time to do, and but it, but it's a lot of fun, and um, yeah, I'm learning a lot. So, yeah. thanks for everything sure. today. Awesome. And uh, thank you for joining us. Everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please – I'm going to say this again. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's a very big help. If you know anyone that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and get them involved. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.